Hello and welcome to Let's Get Sexy, the podcast where I read an erotic story and you listen to it. You're joining me for the third episode of this special series of Christmas-themed stories. So far we've had one about Good King Wenceslas, and another where a loving wife surprises her husband at work with an erotic early Christmas present. If you missed either of those, then I encourage you to go back and listen to them, because they were both great. And hopefully we're all lined up for another great story this time, where we'll be reading A Gift from Mother Christmas, written by author Scatty Sue. Just like all my stories, I found this one on the Literotica website. And if you want to find more stories written by Scatty Sue, you can do that by searching for them as an author on literotica.com. This story is 10.7 thousand words long. It's got a 4.53 star rating, which means it is a H for hot story. It's had 75.1 thousand views, 76 likes, and there are 29 comments at the end. So I'll pick just the best ones when the time comes for that. The subtitle for A Gift from Mother Christmas is Susie Meets a Mysterious Magical Woman Who Changes Her Life. The winter's here to stay, Santa's on his way, he's coming on his sleigh, can you hear the angels say, let's get sexy, come on it's Christmas, let's get sexy, you don't want to miss this. Many times we're given what we want and our lives travel on unchanged. Just occasionally, however, we receive what we really need and we're never quite the same. One Christmas, nearly two decades ago, and just as my life was at its nadir, such a thing happened to me and changed my life utterly. I lie amid a nest of coats on the bed. The wailing sobs have passed, but the tears still fall in silence, punctuated by the gasping catch in my breathing. From downstairs, the bass-heavy sound of Oasis's Roll With It thumps through the bedroom floor. The room is dark. Curtains block out the winter moonlight, and while beyond the far side of the bed there is a feeble firefly glow outlining the door, it does nothing to illuminate the room. Objects in the room are little more than faint texturing of the darkness. It's not much past nine o'clock, so I should be undisturbed in here for a long time. I know that I'm awkward and shy, though my mind is quick-thinking and schoolwork and study come easily. I know that I'm overweight. Okay, I'm fat. I know my hair is dull brown and my face is plain, though I don't believe it's ugly by any means. Still, do my faults and failings really deserve the abuse my life is heaping on me? It is three days after Christmas and just ten days after my 18th birthday and I feel my life is in ruins. In four days' time, it'll be 1996 and I seriously wonder whether I'll see the new year. What would be the point? Thinking of my 18th birthday reminds me of Emmy, my now ex-best friend. We had a joint party, as our birthdays are on consecutive days. Emily Rose, my beautiful ash-blonde, blue-eyed Emmy, my best friend since primary school, who now won't even look at me, let alone speak to me. 
As ever, my mind drifts back to that golden memory of a hot summer's afternoon and the two of us walking close together through a field of waist-high grass. We lay in the grass, looking up at the perfect azure blue sky. No sounds, save the gentle bird calls and the faint susurration of the breeze in the grass. Our hands met and clasped. Moments later, our heads turned, our eyes locking together. Our heads were so close, I could feel her breath on my lips. Emmy moved, brushing her lips against mine, soft and warm. I hesitated as I gazed into her sparkling blue eyes, whose colour outdid that of the sky, then pressed back, and the kiss lingered. That was so nice, I told her as our lips parted. It was, wasn't it, Suze? And our mouths met again. Now I felt her tongue caress my top lip. I couldn't believe what was happening. I'd had such a crush on Emmy for years. My mouth immediately opened to her, and we began a long, deep French kiss. The feeling of our tongues meeting was incredible, better than I could ever have dreamed. We gave and took, learning from each other what felt good and what was less enjoyable. We broke off and resumed several times. I didn't know what it was doing for Emmy, but I knew I was in heaven. Eventually she pulled away, saying it was time we were heading home. As we walked, I tried to take her hand, but she was uncomfortable and pulled it away. I didn't push it, despite the arousal and attraction to her that our kissing had inflamed in me. I could wait, for I knew then that I was physically attracted to her and that she felt the same. We kissed again several times over the following weeks, and this moved on to cuddling and kissing. Each time, Emmy allowed our kissing to continue for a while, and then ended it abruptly. I never complained, grateful for the intimacy she was willing to share, and was patient with her, determined to wait until she was prepared to go further. Patient, that is, until the night after our shared 18th birthday party. I was sleeping over at her house, on a mattress beside her bed. I felt her slip in beside me, and we cuddled. So, we're both grown-ups now, I said to her. Yeah, she smiled. Everything's legal now. Happy birthday, Emmy. I love you, I said. Happy birthday, Suze, she replied, and kissed me. I responded as normal, and we began kissing deeply. This time, however, my hand wandered and cupped her bum cheek. I sensed Emmy stiffen, and I feared I'd overstepped her limits before I felt her hand on my boob, her thumb pressing my nipple through the fabric of my nightie. I gasped and squeezed her bum hard, pulling her body tight against me. Her hand didn't move, and I could feel my pussy moistening. My hand rubbed along the cleft between Emmy's bum cheeks, and I felt her thigh press against my pussy. Despite my resolve to patience, I couldn't help grinding against her. I gave a quiet moan of desire, and wondered if my darling could feel how wet I was. Suddenly, Emmy's kissing stopped, and she took her hand from my boob, rolling away and getting back into bed. Night, Susie, she said, facing away from me. Night, night, Emmy, I replied, but struggled to get to sleep. I awoke to an empty room, but beside my mattress was a piece of folded paper that I hesitantly opened and read the words that Emmy had written. What we did last night sickens me. You sicken me. I thought we were just practicing kissing and having a nice cuddle, not perving on each other. I never want to see you again. Ever, you fat dyke. From Emily Rose. I dissolved in tears, even as I dressed. Emmy's mum informed me that Emmy had gone out early that morning, and that I wasn't to wait for her to return. It was all so unfair. She had kissed me first. She had initiated most of the times we'd kissed and cuddled. She had come into my bed. Then suddenly, because I was turned on by it, she was sickened. Fucking bitch. I'm sobbing hard again at the memories, and I struggle to regain control. I sniff and catch again the smell of my sex juices on my t-shirt. Now, I cannot help reliving again the nightmare of this evening. The party had started so well. I had dressed appropriately, trying to blend in with my peers in a blur rock band t-shirt and fashionably ripped jeans. 
my hair streaked and face made up. Several friends had even complimented me, so when Danny Jackson approached me and asked me to dance, I was more than flattered. I was thrilled. Even though Emmy had said nothing to anyone about our kissing and everything, my going with a boy tonight would prevent any thought or rumour of me being gay. And hey, having a boyfriend would be nice. Someone who cared about me and thought me attractive. Not that I found Danny particularly physically attractive. He was good-looking enough, with a body kept in good shape from sports and the gym, but there was just no real spark. However, he was male and interested in me, and that was very attractive. After the second dance, he suggested we go outside. I could scarcely believe it. It could only mean one thing. He wanted to kiss, maybe even snog and make out for a bit. My heart was hammering, fit to burst, and butterflies filled my stomach as he led me by the hand into the moonlit back garden. It was cold outside, and I shivered, but his arm was around me, so I didn't care as we crossed the lawn. He led me out of sight of the house, behind the garden shed, where I leant with my back against the rear wall. We kissed. Just lips at first, but I tentatively offered my tongue, and he opened his mouth to me. He was inexpertly kneading my boobs. Lots of aggressive squeezing that did little to arouse me. Still, he was interested in me, so I wasn't going to complain about his technique at this point. His hand went to the button of my jeans, and I hesitated. Oh, come on, Susie, don't spoil it, he whispered. Stupidly, I let him continue, and even put my hand to his crotch and gave it a light squeeze. The waistband of my jeans was open, and immediately his hand slid into my panties. I gave a gasp. His fingers were cold. However, he took this as a gasp of excitement, and his fingers curled into my pussy. I gasped again, partly from surprise, but yes, there was excitement too, and that increased as he began to move his fingers back and forth. I'm sure in his head he thought he was plunging his digits deep within my womanhood. In reality, they were sliding back and forth along my labia and barely entering me. However, what they were also doing was rubbing to and fro across my highly sensitive clit, which felt fantastic. I was quickly moaning and gasping, and I knew from my masturbatory explorations that I wouldn't last long. Sure enough, my orgasm soon thrummed through me, making me tremble and my legs become weak as I felt hot, wet flow in my panties. My first shared orgasm, I was briefly in heaven as I leant against Danny for support. He pushed me back against the shed wall as he pulled his hand from my panties. He raised it up and in the moonlight I could see it glistening with my pussy juices. I could smell them too, pungent in the cold air. Danny's face showed a faint disgust as without warning he wiped his hand on my t-shirt once and then twice as he stained my shirt with my own cum. He turned and walked away as I heard laughter. I looked around the corner of the shed as I refastened my jeans and saw in the light spilling from the house several lads coming over to Danny who held out his hand. See, I told you I could get into that fat slut's knickers before nine o'clock, I heard Danny call boastfully to them. Once again I was humiliated and hurt and I fled back into the house pushing past mocking leering faces. Indoors, I headed upstairs, desperate to hide. This bedroom, the temporary cloakroom, has become my sanctuary, and here I lie, still curled up as my world crumbles. Fat cow, hawker, whale, fat dyke, fat slut. How many more names must I endure? I stiffen as I hear the door open behind me, and quickly turn my head, but all I see is the silhouette of a woman's head, with shoulder-length, slightly curly hair, before the door closes. A small sob escapes me, before I bite my lip to silence myself. I hear the soft click of a key turning. She's locked the door, and a cold fear enters me. Susie, it's okay. The voice is calm, gentle and assured, and not one that I recognise, certainly not in the dark. You're quite safe with me. We won't have anyone barging in on us now. The fear ebbs, but I remain nervous of this strange intruder. Who are you? I manage hesitantly. 
Hush, Susie, I'm here to help you. Her voice is soft, kindly and charming. Some of my nervousness drains away. I am, well, you'd probably call me Mother Christmas. I know that I'm a bit late, though it is still within twelve days of Christmas, but I came because you need me. You see, unlike my husband who gives people what they think they want, I give them what they really need, as good mothers always do. Your Mother Christmas, I managed to sob uncertainly. Mother Christmas, so your husband is... Father Christmas, yes, she replied, perfectly calmly, but even in my abject tearful state I'm sceptical. Mother Christmas, I can't call someone... I mean, you can't be. I'm not a child. Christmas isn't just for children, Susie, she chides gently. However, I can see Mother Christmas is not a name you'll be able to use comfortably, so why don't you call me Chris? I hear her move surprisingly quickly and confidently around the bed in the dark room. She obviously has good eyes in the dark. I can hear her standing close to me when she asks, May I sit, Susie? I sit up, still weeping, and move my legs so I'm sitting on the edge of the bed. I briefly see her as a shadow against the curtains before I feel the bed shift when she sits. Her arm reaches around my shoulder to hug me, and it doesn't yet occur to me to resist. You're in a bad way, aren't you? she says. Yes, I manage. It all hurts so much. She moves, wrapping her arms around me, and before I realise what's happening, I'm leaning against her, cradled in her arms. Unexpected though this position is, I feel very safe. Her body is soft and warm, not fat and not skinny, just ordinary. She smells nice, a soft, sweet, spicy, homely scent that I find myself liking immensely. She's wearing a dress of some fabric that feels pleasant and comforting against my cheek and fingers. Tell me, she instructs, and the events of this evening spill out of me, all the upset, all the anger and pain of what Danny did, and the loathing I feel for myself for letting it happen. Her hand brushes my cheek. I know tonight might seem like the end of everything, but it will pass, and you will heal in time, she says. No, I won't, I reply, and with that I find myself recounting the tale of my time with Emmy, from that first golden afternoon to the morning of the final note, just before Christmas, and how that rejection by Emmy, with the shame of all that happened this evening, means that my life is effectively over, even as my adulthood has barely begun. I remain cradled in her arms while she's silent for some time. I begin to wonder whether she's thinking, or if my rambling, tear-filled telling has lulled her into a doze. Susie, she asks suddenly, are you a lesbian? I look up to her faintly discernible face. Mother, Chris, I, I don't know. I wanted to, you know, with Emmy, but then she... I begin to stutter, but I'm cut off by her soft lips against mine. I'm shocked, and yet somehow I still feel safe. Her hand is still against my cheek, and I reach up to touch her face. Her skin is soft and smooth, but it hasn't the tautness of youth. She's definitely much older than me. Her kiss is gentle, but it lacks the hesitancy of Emmy's kisses. Chris is confident, and I feel her deftly adjust to suck on my lower lip. This slight move changes the game. This is no longer a chaste friend's kiss, but is now subtly sexual. My body responds, even as my mind is still wondering what's happening, and despite my confusion, I know I like it. Why? I whisper when the kiss ends. A gift to you. A gift of physical love and affection shared with you. If you want it. Freely given, and asking nothing back, Chris explains. Um, is all I can manage to say, as I continue to stroke her face hesitantly. It may help you to know yourself, and to accept that you're worthy of being loved. Her face is just above mine, each word caresses my mouth with her breath. God, how I want to feel loved, but what if this is a trick? 
Then I recall the door being locked. We're not going to be walked in on. I tilt my head, bringing my lips to hers. This time I open my mouth and wait, allowing Chris's tongue to slip between my lips. I respond immediately to show my desire and excitement, but letting her lead and then echoing her techniques. However, Chris is patient and my arousal steadily builds. I feel Chris's hand slide under my t-shirt across my stomach. I tense. She can feel the soft rolls of my stomach and I expect her to recoil, but she doesn't. She continues to caress, her hand working upwards. Her fingers brush the underside of my bra and I gasp at the tingle that shoots through me. Her arm reaches around me and I laugh nervously as I feel her neatly release my bra strap. Chris slips away from me. Lie back on the bed, Susie, my love, she instructs, and I sense as much as see her kneel beside the bed. Her hands return to exploring me as she raises my shirt and then pulls it over my head, stripping it from me. Her hands return to my bra, making me moan softly in anticipation as she slides the cups up, freeing my boobs to the cool air. I shrug each shoulder in turn, slipping the bra strap so she can remove it, leaving me topless. My heart rate has increased, and I'm biting my lip, waiting for what Chris will do. What I want. What I hope and pray she will do. Oh yes, I gasp as her lips enfold my right nipple and she sucks it softly. Meanwhile, her hand has returned to caressing my cushiony stomach. She sucks a little harder for a moment and then begins running the tip of her tongue around the areola before suddenly flicking it across the nipple. Chris, that feels so nice, I tell her. It's... it's making my... my pussy get wet, I force myself to confess. My hand gropes blindly until it encounters Chris's breast. I try to be gentle and arousing as I cup the globe of her boob through her clothing, squeezing it gently and rubbing it. I locate the hardened dome of her nipple and press it firmly with my thumb before running my thumbnail across it. I'm thrilled when I hear Chris moan, very softly, in response. Now her hands are at the top of my jeans and I feel her fingers slide under the waistband. I wonder what she'll do for a moment and then her hand twists and I realise she's trying to undo the button. However, her hand is at an awkward angle and she's struggling. The fact that my jeans are so tight on me probably isn't helping. I want to reach down and help her, but that would mean letting her breast go. Just then, the jean button springs open and the zip is immediately pulled down. Throughout this, my nipple had been sucked, licked and nibbled, and it is only now released. The saliva coating it chills the nipple quickly in the cool air. Susie, I'm going to slip your jeans and panties down to your ankles and remove them. You will be naked and your pussy will be exposed to me. Is that okay? Yes, I manage to whisper hoarsely. Normally I hate my naked body, but tonight I want to expose it for Chris. I feel her pull at the waistband, and I lift my bum as both jeans and panties are dragged down past my knees in one firm movement. Moments later, my legs are bare, and I hear Chris folding the jeans and placing them on the floor. Lie on the bed, Susie, she says, and I obey, twisting and lifting my legs onto the bed. Is that all you're going to do to me? I ask. Would you like me to do more, Susie? Would you like me, a woman, to touch your pussy? Chris's voice is low and sensual, unbelievably erotic. I'm sure she could make me come just talking if she wanted to. Oh shit, yes, I gasp. I want you to do everything a woman can to me. And what do you think a woman can do to another woman, Susie? What would you have done with Emmy if she'd let you? I wanted to touch her in all the ways that feel so good when I touch myself. To touch her tits and nipples, to run my hand over her skin. I would caress her bum, her stomach, her pubes. I swallow hard. My voice is trembling with how much I wanted all of this. I wanted to slip my fingers inside her, to feel how hot and wet I'd made her, and to rub her until she reached her orgasm and called out how much she loved me. That sounds wonderful. Is there anything else you've dreamed of? 
anything at all, Susie. I, I hesitate, fearing that to confess my desire will disgust Chris, but her hand softly strokes my hair, and I blurt out. I wanted to lick her, to taste her down there, where my fingers had made her wet. You wanted to lick her pussy, Susie. Did you think you'd enjoy the taste? Chris asks. I can feel my cheeks burning red in the dark. I, I like the taste of mine when I suck my fingers after, you know? I can make out the nod of her head. And anyway, even if it didn't, I'd still lick her if it felt good for her. Would you like to find out how good being touched and licked by a woman feels? Oh, Chris, yes, I exclaim. Thinking of making love to Emmy had been a huge turn-on, and my legs seemed to open of their own accord, inviting Chris between them. She reaches up and pulls my left leg from the bed so my foot rests on the floor, and then moves up my leg so I'm opened wider, allowing her to kneel between the bed and my leg. I look down and realise that the light in the room has subtly changed, and I can dimly make out her features. She is very pretty, a heart-shaped face with a straight nose and high, round cheeks, above a generous mouth that smiles as she looks up at me. Her fingers trace softly over my inner thighs, and I gasp at how marvellous this feels. I lie back and close my eyes, savouring her intimate touch. She moves her fingers higher, as they trace the crease between my legs and my soft, chubby vulva. I love her gentle touch, but at the same time, I'm becoming impatient for the fulfilment of orgasm. Oh, yes, I cry out softly, her fingers playing through my damp pubic hair before tracing along the cleft of my pussy. Oh, keep going, I beg. Push them inside me. Susie, my dear, be patient and enjoy everything. Do not rush to orgasm, as men so often do, but savour every touch, every sensation, every feeling, she whispers, as her fingers travel to and fro across my cleft, each time a little deeper between the soft, rounded edges. You ask to know about loving a woman, so I am showing you. I try to relax and be completely aware of my body. I feel the warm wetness growing within me, and a new sensation that I've never noticed before in my impatience to push my fingers inside myself. I feel my inner lips swelling under Chris's loving touch, and my pussy starting to open to her like a flower. Spreading my legs wider enhances this feeling of opening. Her fingers withdraw, and before I can complain, I feel her breath caress my open sex before a kiss is planted at the top of the damp curls of my pubic hair. Another follows, a little lower, and then another. Something trails through my tangled bush, and I realise it's Chris's tongue. Just as the kisses did, the tongue works lower and starts licking either side of my pussy, making me groan with pleasure. Does that feel good, Suze? she asks, and her use of Emmy's nickname for me makes my heart tremble. Chris, it's wonderful, I tell her. She kisses me at the very top of my pussy's cleft, right over my little clitty, and the feeling makes me gasp. Her tongue now travels down, the tip delicately tracing along the inner labia. There's a brief pause before her tongue parts those nether lips, nuzzling just inside me, for Chris drags it up, ploughing a shallow furrow in my sex. She's barely inside me, but the sensation is incredible. Her licking of me continues, each time her tongue ploughs deeper, and I'm gasping and whimpering. Suddenly, Chris's tongue stops mid-lick, and I feel it extend, penetrating me. Oh, Jesus, Chris, you're fucking me with your wonderful tongue, I cry excitedly. Chris presses harder, pushing her tongue deeper, and then begins moving her head back and forth, her tongue held rigid as she quite literally tongue-fucks me. The feeling is beyond fantastic, and I close my eyes to block out everything but the sensation of Chris's loving. I want this to go on forever, but I know she will make me calm all too soon. Soon her tongue withdraws, and her mouth leaves my pussy. 
Your pussy is delicious, Suze, I must say. You'll not have lovers complaining on that score, certainly. Her comments make me laugh. And hey, there's something about my body that's actually really good. As she speaks, her fingers once more brush my pubic hair and gently trail across my now open pussy. Oh, wow, I sigh, as slowly and firmly two of her fingers enter me. The thrill is so great that for a moment I think I will orgasm right then and there as I feel my vaginal muscles grip the invading digits tightly. I do not come. Chris keeps her fingers still while the imminent climax recedes. Only then do her fingers begin to pump, slowly and softly. The sensation is exquisite as the thrusts become deeper and firmer. I feel her fingers curl up to press the top of my pussy deep inside. Mmm, that feels so good, I tell her. That is your G-spot, she tells me and it is very sensitive, producing very satisfying orgasms. She continues to rub my newly found G-spot, while her thumb now gently rests over my clit. I'm making almost continuous sighs and moans under her ministrations. So you like my fingers inside you, in your hot, tight, sexy little cunt? Chris asks. Her use of the C-word is so unexpected, and yet deeply thrilling. Yes, Chris, I do, very, very much, I say, as I'm beginning to pant and gasp, and I know I can't be far from orgasm. Chris, I'm, ah, uh, I'm going to, oh, to come. I look down and see Chris smile as her head lowers. Yes, Suze, come, orgasm, climax for me, she tells me, before her tongue dips into the upper end of my pussy, my cunt, to engage with the hard nub of my clitoris. That touch is unbelievably intense, and a shudder passes through me but this is just the first tremor. The tongue now twists and twirls, licks and pokes, doing amazing things to my button as her fingers continue inside me. Ah, fuck. Oh, 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 coming, yeah, ah. A second spasm, and then a third grips me, and my world is filled with orgasm. Nothing but orgasm, with its intense electric pleasure that makes my whole nervous system sing to its tune. I open my eyes as I feel Chris move up beside me and feel her fingers slide out of my still tingling pussy. My legs feel rubbery and numb. As Chris's face comes close, she kisses my cheek before she raises a hand between us. It smells intensely of my sex, and in the dim light it glistens wetly. I raise a heavy hand and grasp the wrist, pulling it towards me so I can take the index finger into my mouth, sucking it clean, followed by the middle finger. As I suck, Chris licks the back of her hand, and when I lick the palm, she sucks the thumb. Thank you, Chris. That was incredible, I whisper, as she reaches across and cuddles me. You're very welcome, Susie. Now, let me ask you, is there something else you think you need? I, um, I don't know if it's a need or a want, and it's not just for me, I say. Well, that certainly sounds in the spirit of Christmas. What is it, Susie? Chris asks. I... I, I want to make love to you, as you did to me. I want to know if I can, but also, I mean, what you did for me felt so amazingly good. I, Chris, I want you to feel that too, I try to explain. Yes, I should have realised, and I'd love you to make love to me, she says, smiling in the dim light. She stands. You'd best begin by undressing me, Susie. I stand in front of her, unsure of what to do. Touch me, Susie, she tells me, seeing my hesitation. You know how you'd like to be touched, and I'm a woman like you. In the dusky room, I can see her dress is close-fitting, long-sleeved, and the hem is just above her knees. The front is plain, with a simple round neckline. Hesitantly, I place my hands on her hips, and I'm struck again by the warm softness of the dress's fabric. Her hips have a lovely swell, firm but rounded, and I begin to run my hands over them. 
I slide up to her waist, and I can feel the crease caused by the waistband of her panties beneath, where they press into her soft flesh. She's not flabby, certainly nothing like me, but she's no bony, skinny gym addict either. My hands continue upwards as Chris smiles at me. My hands caress the outer sides of her breasts, and stop, pausing before my thumbs brush gently across her nipples. Her breasts are full, and feel firm, her nipples growing large and hard under my touch. Chris gives a soft sigh. Do you like my tits, Suze? she asks, her voice husky with desire. Oh yes, Chris, your tits are gorgeous, I answer, as my thumbs continue rubbing. Mmm, Suze, unbutton my dress and take it off, she says. I hesitate, as I can see no buttons, and I wonder if I've missed them in the dim light. Chris helps me by taking my hand and guiding it around to the small of her back, where my fingers encounter a little line of buttons. I begin unbuttoning, working my way up, and tremble when my fingertips accidentally brush the soft skin of her back, feeling the smooth, shallow valley of her spine. I reach the final button at the back of the neck, and pop it open. I swallow as I ease the dress from her shoulders, Chris aiding its smooth journey down her arms before she slips her hands out. The dress now hangs on her hips, revealing the pale, three-quarter cup bra she is wearing. Part of me wants desperately to pull the clothes from her body as fast as possible, but I also know that I should try to make this sensual. I run my fingers gently down her sides, and under the dress I ease it over the hips, allowing it to fall with a soft sound to the floor. My bra next, Susie, she suggests, and I reach around her. Our skin touches, stomach to stomach, thigh against thigh, and my pussy responds to the sensation. I'm undressing a gorgeous, passionate woman to make love to her, and that thought is so arousing and exciting that my hands are trembling as I try to release the bra clip. I feel Chris's arms enfold me. Relax, Susie, she soothes, and then her lips are on mine. I feel contentment flow through me as our tongues brush, and under my hands her bra clip springs apart. She pushes me gently, and I step back, taking the bra with me. The bra falls forgotten from my hands as my gaze locks onto her breasts. They are wonderfully rounded, with large, dark areolas, at the centre of which are paler nipples that I can see growing and hardening before my eyes in the cool air. My mouth goes dry, and I'm filled with the overwhelming urge to suckle each perfect teat. Yes, Suze, do it. Please, suck my tits, Chris asks urgently, as if reading my thoughts, and my head lowers. That soft, sweet spice scent is even stronger from her naked skin, as my lips touch her left nipple. My tongue peeps out, the tip brushing her nipple. The next moment, I've latched onto her, the whole areola sucked into my mouth, and I can feel the hard nub as I use my tongue to caress the sensitive tip. Oh, good girl, Chris praises. My fingers find her other nipple, and I squeeze and roll it in the way I do with my own when I masturbate. After a short while, I switch tits with my mouth and fingers, trying to arouse Chris's as much as possible. On an impulse, I flatten my tongue and lick right across her boob, and I feel her give a little shiver, so I begin licking both boobs all over, tasting her skin. At the same time, I rest my hand on her stomach. Can I do this now, or is it too soon, I wonder, as my hand edges downwards, my fingers brushing past her tummy button, and she does not tell me to stop or slow down. I'm almost shocked when my hand encounters the waistband of her panties. Perhaps I should spend some time caressing her through the soft fabric, but fuck it. I want to touch her pussy, to feel my fingers inside another woman's cunt. I ease under the waistband, and my fingers find themselves in her soft pubic hair. To my surprise, I find that her pubes are just a small triangular patch, and that lower down, her vulva and outer lips are hairless. The feel of this smooth, slick skin is wonderful, but her pussy is still my target. Her cleft is hot and wet, 
the inner lip swollen with her arousal. I press my fingers in, and her flesh yields and opens to receive me. Oh, wow, I whisper. It is just wow, the feeling and knowledge that I've penetrated this most intimate of places of another woman. My finger eases deeper as I explore her, Chris giving a soft grunt of enjoyment. I look into her eyes, alight with desire and affection, and slip a second finger in alongside the first. I begin to ease them back and forth. Oh, Suze, your fingers feel so good in my cunt, Chris growls in a low voice, and once again I find her crude language thrilling. I pull my fingers from her. I'm going to taste your cunt on my fingers, I tell her, then pull your panties off so I can finger-fuck you and eat you till you come in my mouth. I place my fingers, wet with her love juices, in my mouth and suck them. I like the taste of my pussy, but hers is so much better. Richer, fuller and sweeter. I open my eyes and feel a thrill pass through me like a spasm, almost a miniature orgasm. So fucking good, I mumble. Oh, you wonderful girl, Susie. I open my eyes and my hands are immediately in action, pushing her panties down. They've barely touched the floor when I grasp her hips and turn her before pushing her back onto the bed. She wants me to do this, and oh shit, do I want her. She laughs as she topples backwards, her head and shoulders landing amidst the coats piled on the bed. Instantly I'm on my knees, pushing her legs wide as my face comes close to her opening. The smell of her sex fills my nostrils as I inhale deeply, trying to calm and steady myself so as to give her the most pleasure I can. In the dim room, I can make out her open lips, revealing her dark, inviting love passage. However, I do not dive in, sorely tempted as I am, but begin kissing the hairless outer labia, adding in little licks that allow me to fully enjoy the taste of her. I work inwards, and now the licks and kisses dally within her inner labia. I don't know if every pussy tastes and feels quite so good, but I know that I'm addicted. When my tongue parts those crinkled, soft nether lips, running up to brush lightly over the slight protruding bulge of her clit, Chris's words are music to my ears. Oh my goodness, Susie! You have a natural talent for this. Mmm, oh. I recall Chris's lovemaking and gently insert my fingers once more inside her pussy, curling them as I try to find the place where she touched me, the G-spot. Then I feel it, spongy and slightly rough in contrast to the firm wet smoothness all around it. I begin rubbing gently. My mouth is open on her pussy as I work my tongue across and between her labial folds, slowly burrowing deeper. The taste of her fills my mouth, and I hear sounds of pleasure escaping Chris as she begins to gasp softly. The tempo of my fingers increases, and my tongue varies from pushing deep inside her to lapping her clit. I purse my lips and suck briefly on the tender, sensitive bud, making Chris writhe beneath me. I back off, not wanting her to come too quickly, nurturing her orgasm as she had mine. However stimulating this is for Chris, it's also intensely arousing for me, and my inner thighs are wet with juices, dribbling from my own sex. The unoccupied fingers of my left hand find employment rubbing and fingering my own clit and pussy. I start again to lick her pussy and clit, adding in the little clitoris sucks that so stimulate her. Chris begins to move her hips in time with my efforts as her breathing is now coming in short, shallow gasps. I know that it won't take much more, and my impatience gets the better of me as the tip of my tongue diddles her clit mercilessly. Her hands grab my head as she grinds her pussy into my mouth. I feel my fingers constrict as her internal muscles spasm and liquid fills my mouth. I swallow quickly, but each spasm there is more liquid, and try as I might, I cannot keep up. Her love fluid escapes my mouth to trickle and drip on my boobs, running down my body. I feel my own climax nearing, even as Chris's finally shudders to an end. Her fingers slip from my hair, 
allowing me to kneel back on my haunches as my head tips backwards. I'm breathless, and my third orgasm of the evening crashes through me, leaving me gasping and too weak to move. Chris slithers bonelessly from the bed, and we become a soft, warm puddle of tangled, satiated female flesh. Soft kisses and gentle caresses are exchanged as we both savour the post-orgasmic glow. I struggle to comprehend all that Chris has given me this evening, but I know that she has healed much of the hurt of the past fortnight. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Chris, for everything this evening, I say. Thank you, Susie, for sharing your beautiful, wonderful body with me, Chris replies. Her words are sincere, I've no doubt, but Chris is special. She is Mother Christmas, after all. I suddenly realise that this may be the only time I love a woman, for who else will be blind to what I look like? No, Chris, it's not beautiful. It's fat and horrible, I say. A thought occurs to me, and a humourless laugh escapes my lips. Emmy was right. I'm just a fat dyke, I tell her, as I feel the tears prickling my eyes. No, Susie, that's not who you are. I want you to understand, says Chris. I understand that if I'd been slim and beautiful, Emmy might not have been revolted by me. Can you give me that for Christmas? A lovely thin body? I ask. No. Chris's voice is firm and assertive. Emily Rose's problem was not what you look like, but confusion and fear over her own sexuality. A fear and confusion I wanted to take from you. However, she continues mildly, I don't need to give you a beautiful body. You have the power in you to give that to yourself. You know what to do. What? Eat less? No cakes or crisps? Exercise more? I asked. Yes, exactly, says Chris. You can make the choices and become thinner if you want, just as you have the choice to acknowledge or suppress your sexuality. But I can't diet, I whinge like a child. I try, and I fail, and I just get bigger, and then I get hated. Tears are flowing again. Chris sits up and looks down at me, compassion and care in her eyes. I can help you, she tells me gently, but you will still have to do it. You will still have to make the right choices, each day and every day. All right? I nod, and she reaches over to her dress where it lies on the floor. From it, she takes out a length of thin cord and hands it to me. Now, you're going to make yourself eight promises, and you will bind each promise to a knot that you'll tie around the cord. You can then carry the cord, or wear it as a bracelet, as a reminder to yourself to keep those promises. Is it a magic spell? I ask. Yes, I suppose it is. Now, repeat each promise, repeat them, and mean them as you tie each knot, okay? I nod. I promise myself to eat smaller portions, she says, and I repeat it as I tie the knot. I promise myself not to binge on food. I repeat and tie the second knot. I promise myself to choose healthy food, and I promise to enjoy regular exercise, to eat slowly and enjoy the food I eat, not to give up when there are setbacks, to let go of my insecurities and recognise my self-worth, to achieve and sustain a healthy weight. Each I promise myself is repeated, and the knot tied carefully. At the end, she takes the knotted cord and loops it around my wrist, tying it into a bracelet. It won't happen overnight, Susie, but I know you'll do it. And she kisses me on the lips. Thank you, Chris, for this. Um, sorry for whining like that. Not my finest moment. I'm not fair after all you've given me this evening, I say. I know it's been hard for you, she commiserates as she strokes my hair but take my gift and live your life in love and happiness. Her voice is soothing and I close my eyes. I cannot promise that there won't be problems and challenges, that you won't face insults and discrimination because of your sexuality, but I know that you're a wonderful, intelligent, strong, capable woman and a fantastic lover.
I feel my cheeks redden under her praise. Merry Christmas, and a very happy new year to you, Susie, my dear. Thank you, Mother Christmas, I murmur in reply. My eyes are heavy, as the emotions of the evening and lovemaking catch up on me, and I close them briefly. Moments later, my eyes open. Chris, I call, but I know instinctively that I'm alone once more. It crosses my mind that I've only dreamt being visited by Mother Christmas, who showed me what it was like to make love to a woman. However, it couldn't have been a dream. I am lying naked on the floor, though covered by a blanket, and on my right wrist is a thin cord with eight knots tied into a bracelet. My promises to myself to eat properly, exercise, and become slim. My skin carries her scent, not the heavy feminine scent of her cum, but the soft, sweet spice scent of her skin. I climb to my feet and begin dressing, retrieving my clothes from the bed and the floor where they've been placed or dropped as Chris undressed me. At some point, I'm going to have to leave this room and face the world, with the Danny Jacksons and other perverts and abusers therein. Chris called me a wonderful, intelligent, strong, capable woman, though I've not shown much of that recently. However, she was right about my sexuality, so maybe I am all she thinks. Just then, I have a light bulb moment as an idea pops into my head, and I smile. I know exactly what I'm going to say to that little shit Danny. Fully dressed, I take a deep breath. Thank you, Mother Christmas, for everything, I whisper into the dark room, but especially for being my first lover. It doesn't take long to locate Danny fucking Jackson, but I have to wait a few minutes before he leaves his mates, as he goes in search of a bathroom. He looks a little tipsy, but not too drunk that I can't talk to him. He sees there's a key for the bathroom, and heads out into the garden, presumably to piss in the shrubbery and I follow. As soon as he's on his own, I grab his shoulder and spin him round. Hello, Danny. Remember me? I'm the girl you sexually assaulted earlier this evening. What? That's bollocks. I never did. You wanted. I wanted what? I interrupt. You pin me against the shed wall and shove your fingers in my vagina. Did I ask you to do that? Did you talk to me, or ask what I wanted? No. He looks a little confused, and just a bit worried. After the sexual assault, you boasted that you'd got your hands into my knickers, just as you bet you would. The trouble is, you were so desperate to win your bet that you did so without my consent. I just want you to understand, so that when the police turn up and start questioning you about the assault, it's not a complete shock. The police? he asks. Yes, the police. After I call them and tell them how you've sexually assaulted me, I say. But you can't prove that, he replies, trying to sound confident. Can't I? What about all those people you boasted to about what you did? And those who saw me distressed and in tears, running away after you assaulted me? Would I have been that upset if I'd wanted what you did to me? It must have been sexual assault. Maybe even a rape. No, but that's not fair, he whines. Not fair? Is what you did to me fucking fair? You set out to humiliate me, you little shit, and you dare to complain about not fair. Oh yes, you wanted to be a sports teacher, didn't you? Well, good luck with that, when you've got a complaint of sexual assault on your record. Susie, you wouldn't, he starts, but I fix him with my hardest stare. You want to bet on that? Suddenly, he's very sober and genuinely scared. Good. Of course, you could tell everyone that you'd made it up, that I refused to let you touch me and then mocked your little cock when you got it out, that I ran away crying because you'd called me names. That would make it much harder for my claim of assault to be believed. I'll do that, I promise, he replies desperately. Even the bit about... Okay, even the bit about me getting my cock out. Okay, okay, my little cock, he stammers. Make sure you tell all of your friends, and convince them. If I hear the word slut being attached to my name, then I'll assume you've broken your promise and I'll go to the police. Am I clear? 
Yes, okay, he agrees sullenly, so I leave him and walk back to the house. In the kitchen, I pick up a can of cider and a plastic tumbler before wandering into the conservatory. It's cold in here, and the lights are off, but despite that, or perhaps because of it, I come across Alicia, a girl from school, and a boy who I don't recognise, snogging and groping each other passionately, on a wicker double seat. They're oblivious to me as I move silently past them, to a seat facing out of the window, though my eyes linger on Alicia's rather attractive thigh, where his hand has pushed her skirt up. A few hours ago, I would have blushed and looked away, embarrassed for even seeing it. Now I'm tempted to stay and watch her. Sitting in the window, I look out over the garden. In the light from the back of the house, I can see Danny with a couple of his mates, Stuart and Kevin, I think. He's saying something and shaking his head. The other two say something, and Danny looks down as he talks, and his friends start laughing. When Stuart holds up his fist, I wonder what he's doing, until I see his little finger extended and wiggling. Now I know that Danny has kept his word, even including the little cock. His discomfort and embarrassment are so painfully obvious that I'm almost sorry for him. Almost. I sip the cider and relax, reliving the magical time with Chris. How long was it, I wonder? Perhaps I should ask if anyone saw a woman who was... What? Older? With a nice body? No, a fucking awesome sexy body, my memory screams. Very pretty, with a lovely mouth, and with shoulder-length wavy hair of some colour, and wearing a dress that I also didn't know the colour of. But she does smell softly of sweet spices. I smile, and decide that there is no point, and I should just accept the magic of that encounter. A while later and the cider is gone, and I'm alone in the conservatory. I feel mellow and content with life as I stand and decide to head home. On my way, I overhear Gemma talking to Marie, Becca, and Becca's boyfriend. So, Danny and Susie went out into the garden together after the dance, and he took her behind the shed out there, and, her voice drops, he took his prick out, but then she told him to put it away because it was too small. Well, it was cold in the garden, so maybe it wasn't his fault, suggests Becca's boyfriend, and the girls all laugh. But, says Marie, I saw her run away crying and she disappeared somewhere. Yeah, apparently Danny called her all sorts of names, and said she was a slut for leading him on. What a wanker that boy is. I move on quietly, and unnoticed. I've heard enough, and it's time I went home. Come on, Pickle, I call, as the dog drags on the lead. She's not used to her walks, that have now become runs and walks, as part of my promise to exercise. I know she's only got short legs, but Pickle should be able to keep up with me. It's only day three, but I've done this every day, each time managing to run a little more, and I'm already four pounds lighter. Chris's magic is working. This morning, I automatically pulled a couple of chocolate chip cookies from the jar to go with a cup of tea I'd made, and then saw the green knotted cord on my wrist, and put them back. Are you all right, Susie? Mum asked, when she saw what I'd done. You seem different since the party the other night. Is there anything you want to talk about? Not at the moment, Mum, but thanks. I guess I've decided I need to make some changes in my life. Starting with my weight, I told her. Well, good for you, Susie. And you're not even waiting for New Year's Day tomorrow to start your resolution. That's very impressive. Let me know if there's anything you want me to buy, or not buy, when I'm shopping. Um, yes. Please can you not buy any more crisps or chocolate? They're too tempting, I ask. No problem, Susie dear. Maybe I can lose a bit of weight too, she said, and gave me a hug. I turn off the pavement and into the park. Pickle seems a little more enthusiastic as she overtakes me. There is something I'll need to talk to Mum about, of course, but I'm not yet ready to come out and tell her I'm gay. Anyway, it's not as if I've got a girlfriend. I follow the path leading towards the lake, and I'm impressed that I'm still jogging. This is a new record for me, even though I know I won't be able to run much further. I look ahead, 
and there on the bench where the paths bend is Emmy. Next to her, a woman in the deep green grass with pale shoulder-length wavy hair is rising from the seat, and I can see they are talking. I stumble to a halt, staring as the woman bends and kisses Emmy on the top of her head before turning and walking away. I notice the buttons down the back of her dress and her lovely figure before she disappears behind the bushes and trees as she walks around the bend. I don't know what to do. I thought I was over Emmy and what happened, but no, very much no. I feel my throat constrict painfully and I have to go, to flee. Just then, however, Pickle decides to bark, perhaps recognising Emmy. I see her look towards me and I turn, pulling Pickle's lead. Susie, Suze, wait, Emmy says, as I take a few hesitant steps away. But she calls me again. Suze, wait. I'm sorry. I stop and turn as she runs up to me. What are you sorry for, Emily Rose? I ask roughly, as she flinches at my use of her full name, almost as if I'd slapped her. For everything. For that note I left you. For being selfish and a coward. I see tears welling in her eyes. One beads and runs down her cheek, tugging at my heart despite everything. I... I really hope that awful note, and how I treated you didn't make Christmas too... well, too shit for you, she says. I've had better, I admit. Mum did wonder what the hell was the matter with me. I just couldn't tell her that we'd fallen out. Let alone why. I stop talking. The hurt in her eyes is just too much. However, there is one burning question on my mind. Emmy, who was that woman you were talking to just now? She just came and sat beside me. I've been crying, thinking about what I'd done writing you that horrid note, and how you must hate me for it. She said she was there because I needed to talk to someone, so I told her about us and what I'd done. I told her about what we'd done together. You know, kissing and stuff. I hope you don't mind, but she was right. I did need to talk about us. She said that you and I need to talk, and she told me that you'd surprise me. I hesitate when I touch her arm. Let's sit down, I suggest, pointing to the bench she'd just left, and we walk over and sit. Emmy? What was her name? Did she tell you? She said I should call her Chris. Do you know her? She asks, surprised. I think I, um, met her recently and spent some time with her. I also told her about us and what happened. Suze, I'm really sorry about how I behaved and, oh God, that horrible spiteful note. Well, you know, we... Emmy, I interrupt sharply and she looks at me anxiously. Her hands are clasped tightly in her lap and I rest my hand gently on top of them. Emmy, you were right. I am a fat dyke, and if I manage to lose weight, I'll be a thin dyke. I smile at my attempt at a joke, but Emmy just looks stunned. I'm gay. A lesbian, Emmy. Not curious. Not, I wonder if I might be, but absolutely certain that I'm attracted to girls. To women. To me? she asks, in a small voice. Oh, Emmy, yes, to you more than anyone, even before that afternoon last summer when we kissed in the field. Did you not know? I think I did know, deep down. But I couldn't believe it. I didn't want to believe it. It's not right, two girls together in that way. That's why I couldn't, each time we kissed. I liked it at first, but then I just couldn't. Emmy, you're the first person apart from Chris that I've admitted my sexuality to. Can I ask you to be honest and tell me why you kissed me that day in the field? and all those other times, and then, when you came into my bed. My voice catches, but I force myself to continue. After our party? She looks down at me briefly, and she chews her lip a bit before looking down. Sometimes when we're together I feel, well, all warm and tingly and close to you, and you look at me in a certain way like I'm the loveliest, most special person in the world. Kissing you just seems so right then, 
and well, it feels nice, and you're a good kisser, but I know it's wrong, and then I feel guilty. She hangs her head and sighs before continuing. I know I shouldn't have come into your bed after the party. I was a bit drunk, and I just wondered, you know, what it would be like. And when I responded, you got scared, I tell her, and she nods. I put my hand out to stop you, but of course I ended up touching your boob. Suze, your hand squeezing my bum felt nice, and, um, you have a lovely boob, but... Oh, Susie, when I felt you rubbing your vajay against my leg, it was just so wrong. It felt disgusting and dirty. I was angry, furious at you for doing that, even though I know I'd sort of led you on. Please forgive me. There's a long silence. It was all misunderstanding and silly mistakes, each of us looking for something different and not understanding the other. We needed to set boundaries for both our sakes. Emmy, of course I forgive you, but you need to decide. I can be your friend, or we could try being girlfriends. You know, girlfriends as in gay girls in a relationship. What I can't cope with is you coming on to me and then pushing away because I respond sexually to you. That's not fair. She nods again. I know, Suze. I do love you. You know that, don't you? It's just, I don't know if I could ever, you know, sleep with a girl. With you, I mean. Can we just be friends? Even though I'm more than half expecting that answer, it's still crushing when it comes. Stoically, I nod, holding back the tears through sheer willpower. I'm sorry I can't be your proper girlfriend, she adds. No, you must be who you are. You're my oldest, closest friend, and I don't want to lose that, I say, taking a deep breath and forcing a smile. If you can accept me as your freaky lesbo friend, then I can accept you as my boringly straight friend. To my surprise, she leans in and kisses my cheek. You mean freaky lesbo and boring straight best friends? We both chuckle. Come on, Suze. I don't know about you, but it's too bloody cold to sit outside. Let's go to the cafe. I'm buying. We stand, and she slips her arm through mine as we walk across the park to the cafe on the south side, Pickle walking alongside. Of course, if I ever get a bit curious... Don't go there. I cut Emmy off mid-sentence, as she looks at me a little startled. You were going to say, if I ever get a bit curious about sex with a woman. Don't hold that out as hope for me, or you'll have me mooning around you forever. Look, hopefully we'll be off to university next September. Go and find some girl there to experiment on if you get curious. Naturally, if you come back and tell me you've embraced the marvels of lesbian sex, then that will be different, I smile. You seem to be very sure you're a lesbian, so is that what you did? Find a girl. She looks at me, and I blush. Fuck, Suze, you did. You've slept with a woman. There's almost awe in Emily's voice. Do I know her? She asks. I think you might have met her once, but even best friend privileges won't get me to name her. Maybe if we were in bed together, I'd tell you. Hey, that no coming on rule applies to you too, Missy. No trying to seduce your boringly straight friend with your lesbian wiles. I hold up my hand in apology, and she grins. Still, my best friend sleeping with a woman. Wow. Are you all right about me being gay, Emmy? I mean, really all right, I ask. Yeah, though I don't think lesbian sex is for me, she smiles. Like I said, I think deep inside, I always suspected you might be gay. And now I know for sure, you're still the same person. She hesitates, thinking. Actually, would you and your mum like to come over and see in the new year with us tonight? Maybe, I say. I'd have to ask mum, is it just you and your mum and dad? No, actually my aunt and uncle are staying with us, so they'll be there. She looks at me with a mischievous smile. My cousin Terry will be there too. My interest is piqued. Would that be cousin Terry with the short spiky blue hair and cute face? Who likes wearing cargo pants and t-shirts, I ask. Yes, the tomboy of the family. The one you heard mum and dad talking about last time she was here. 
the Terry who's never had a boyfriend, even though she's nearly 20. Do you mean she's... I cannot quite ask, but Emmy knows what I'm wondering. I don't actually know, but, well, I bet we could find out. I know I made your Christmas shit, Suze. So, like, maybe I can help make my best friend's new year a bit better. Amen to that. And thanks, Emmy. You're a wonderful friend, considering you're a straight girl. I hug her arm tight as we push open the door into the inviting, cosy warmth of the cafe. The end. The winter's here to stay. Santa's on his way. He's coming on his sleigh. Can you hear the angels say? Let's get sexy, come on, it's Christmas. Let's get sexy, you don't want to miss this. Ah, so there we go. Equilibrium restored at the end of that story. That's always nice. And it's good to do another lesbian story, actually. I feel like there's a quality to lesbian stories that is often missing from heterosexual stories. And it's hard to exactly pin down what that is. But this story was very well written and very enjoyable to read. It was a great mix of teen drama and sexy escapade. And maybe some will argue that the ratio was a little off, that there could have been more sex to narrative... I think it was just about the right balance. Even if I do think that some of the stuff that happened after Mother Christmas dematerialised could have been cut down without taking too much from the story. I did appreciate the section where Susie gets her revenge on Danny, even if it was a little bit drawn out, and I definitely felt like the reconciliation with Emmy extended the length of this story beyond what was necessary. Having said that, I'm glad that those bits were in the story and that we got to find out. It is sometimes nice to get closure on everything in a story, but equally I think it's fine sometimes if a story leaves us guessing about what might happen next. I thought it was interesting that this story begins with our main character Susie feeling really down on herself, and that's not something you often see in an erotic story, but I like the way that her emotional state as we meet the character is explained, and I felt it was reasonable for her to be feeling that way. She's clearly had a rough time of it with her best friend, who isn't really that good to her. And one of the things I did wonder is, why is Susie so keen to be friends with Emmy when she treats her that way? One of the things I thought was interesting about the party is that Susie's main complaint of Danny is that he is using her. And in a way, she's also using him. She knows she's not interested in him sexually, but she still decides to go outside with him when she knows that that's going to lead to kissing and probably more because they are 18. And she does that because she wants to use the encounter to hide her sexuality. And obviously it turns out that Danny is a total piece of shit and he's just trying to win a bet with his friends. But I think I would have felt sorry for him if it had turned out that he did have genuine feelings for Susie. After all, Susie doesn't know that he didn't really like her when she decides to use him. There's something sad as well about the way that she uses him. Firstly, I think it's sad that it's born out of a need to hide her sexuality and that she's got to present this socially acceptable straight persona to her peers. But I think there's also an element in there of being just so lonely and desperate for attention that even though she's not attracted to him, she's still excited by his interest in her. And I feel like maybe a big part of Susie deciding to go outside with Danny is that it feels like a mark of peer group approval. And maybe that's the aspect of this that she's really interested in. And when they're making out and he's touching her, it sort of feels good because it's a confirmation that she's accepted and, in a way, normal. She's doing the things that the other girls are doing, having a normal teenage life. And she's sort of fetishised that a little bit. I do think that she would have said something when things were going too far if she really wasn't comfortable with what was happening. 
Susie isn't too drunk and she doesn't seem too inexperienced to know what her feelings are. She's quite self-aware throughout the encounter. She's noting how bad Danny is at playing with her boobs, for example, and yet she just decides that she's fine with it because the attention is nice. I think Danny's obviously pushing her boundaries, but I don't think he's breaking them in the way that she claims later. I think she chooses not to say anything when he's fingering her because she's actually quite enjoying it. In the end, she comes away from the experience feeling positive and excited until she finds out that it was on a bet and that Danny was using her to a greater extent than she was using him. And it is a much greater extent. There's no doubt about that. I think that's the real dick move on Danny's part, is that he's using somebody so carelessly for something so trivial and meaningless, basically just so he can go about and laugh it up with his mates. I think it's the fact that the whole encounter is designed to humiliate Susie, and he clearly picked her because he thought that her specifically would be funny. And then afterwards he's going around loudly telling everyone what happened to sort of boost his self-esteem by destroying hers. Danny is a total bully, and he's definitely getting off on making Susie suffer. I really found myself identifying with Susie in her moment of despair when she shut away in the cloakroom. I think it's quite a relatable thing to feel, especially as a teenager, when you experience a setback to just feel like your whole life is ruined, even though really it's just begun. And looking back, it's easy to laugh at how childish and defeatist that sounds from an 18-year-old, with probably another six or seven decades ahead of them. But it is a good reminder that when you're that age, it really does feel like you could screw up everything forever with just one embarrassing incident. Teenage years are so intense, and for me at least, being reminded from time to time of how that felt is quite a good way to connect with gratitude that things have gotten easier to deal with as I've got older. There has to be some benefit to ageing, I think. (laughs) I like the idea of a Mother Christmas, someone who goes around giving repressed people a sexually awakening experience just during the holiday season. I wonder if Father Christmas does the same for young men who are having trouble coming out of the closet. Although the male Santa doesn't really have the same vibe as Chris does, though. Mother Christmas reads as kind of like a mid-30s MILF, whereas Father Christmas definitely reads 60-plus overweight man, definitely more old granddad than sugar daddy. Also, doesn't Father Christmas mind that his wife is going around shagging these teenagers every year, at the same time that he's slaving away during the busy season at work? I wonder if he's even aware of what's going on. Is this a Christmas side hustle that she's got going on here? I was also a bit surprised by how unfazed Susie was by the encounter with Chris. I think if I was crying alone in a dark room, particularly at someone else's house, and somebody came in, they didn't turn on the lights, but then they locked the door behind them, I think I'd be freaking out a bit more than Susie does. I think I'd also maybe just want to pop on a side lamp or something and take a look at the person before I started making out with them. There is also the visual aspect of sex, which I think you're missing out on if you do it in the dark. Part of the fun is getting to enjoy how your partner looks, and also how you look to them. And there's obviously something exciting and erotic in being visually exposed. There's a vulnerability to it. That was actually one of the main things that Lisa enjoyed in Lesbian Slave Island. I wonder if this story takes place in the dark because Susie doesn't like her body very much, and there's a sense of comfort in not being so exposed. As a consequence, though, I think it being written in that way does definitely make the writing more interesting. We're less focused on physical descriptions and more on what Susie's feeling and experiencing in a way which is more immediate and and more tactile. And that makes the sex scenes in this story some of the best that we've had on the podcast so far, because they are very sensual. 
like most erotic stories, there was a bit of hammy dialogue. But I think the bit that stuck out most to me was that Chris is a bit patronising at points. Or maybe that's not quite the word for it. But it almost felt to me like she was sort of seeing how far she could push Susie into admitting different parts of her fantasies. Almost like a school bully asking mocking questions deliberately to embarrass her. Did you want to lick her pussy, Susie? Did you think you'd like the taste? And I was genuinely surprised at how open Susie is to answering Chris so frankly, when I think if I was asked so directly about my sexuality when I was 18... I'd have definitely closed up at this kind of inquiry because it's too close to the way that bullies would tease you. It feels invasive and like they're trying to get you to admit something that they think is humiliating. The sex scenes in this story, as I've said, were really good. They almost felt like they were a little bit instructional, (laughs) you know? They were done in a lot of detail and I felt like maybe that was a deliberate choice by the author to provide maybe some advice for someone who is in Susie's position but who obviously won't have someone like Chris come to visit them at a Christmas party. Like there were detailed instructions on how to find the G-spot and what it feels like when you do find it. Very helpful advice, I think. (laughs) After the sex, Susie had a bit of a meltdown, and I thought that was a bit of a weird moment, because Chris doesn't try to reassure her that her body is fine the way it is, and that she could be beautiful without conforming to other people's definitions or expectations of what an attractive body is. Instead, she kind of confirms Susie's fears about her body, and tells her if she wants to be attractive, she should go on a diet, do more exercise. It's not exactly what I was expecting from Mother Christmas. Especially as everything seemed to be teed up perfectly for a body positivity message. I guess we could sort of imagine that Chris is, she is a magical being, and maybe she's got an ability to look into what the potential future is. And so she can see that what Susie really needs is a pep talk, rather than affirmation that she's beautiful no matter what. Maybe I missed details about this, but I didn't get the sense that Susie was dangerously overweight. I didn't, she didn't sound obese to me. But maybe that's the reality. Maybe Mother Christmas can see into the potential future, and she knows that without this encouragement, in 15 years' time, Susie's going to be looking down the barrel of type 2 diabetes and maybe serious heart disease. There's a lot of detail in the plan for Susie to lose that weight though and I wonder if that's the author again reaching out to readers who might be struggling with the same issue and providing some instruction. I wonder if they had someone specific in mind when they wrote that part. Maybe those instructions were for themselves, you know, maybe a past version of themselves. The level of detail in it really reminds me of Lesbian Slave Island where we got pages and pages of detailed rules and regulations and user manuals for Lisa as a slave. And it was almost like the author was working out a kind of manifesto through writing the story. Like they were working out what they really thought, how it would all work as they were writing. One thing I thought a little bit about was whether what Susie does at the end of the party is ethical Is her revenge on Danny justified? Because in the moment, she doesn't feel like the encounter is problematic until after it's already over and she sees the truth of the context, and yet she still threatens to go to the police and say she was raped, which isn't really the truth. And I think you could say that Danny is right when he says that that isn't fair. It's not fair for Susie to claim that he sexually assaulted her. But even so, I don't feel bad for Danny being made to learn his lesson, especially as I got the impression that Susie was bluffing about following through on her threat. She's really just wanting to take the power back and teach him a lesson. Does she go a bit overboard? I mean, she does threaten to claim that he raped her. And she's talking about totally ruining his life, ending his career aspirations of being a sports teacher. 
So it does feel a bit out of balance compared to being embarrassed in front of your friends at a party. Like one seems like something that you could probably get over in a few months. The other seems like something that would be with you for the rest of your life. In the end, though, I thought she handled it well. And it was a really satisfying conclusion to see Susie get her own back. And for Danny's behaviour to just blow up in his face like that, there was something almost poetic, I thought, about him having to embarrass himself in the way that he's tried to do to her. So with the way it played out, I felt like there was a sense of justice. And I think Susie comes away as a better person, having had a lot of power over Danny and deciding not to abuse it in the way that he probably would have done if the shoe was on the other foot. It's funny in a way that after that confrontation, when Susie goes to grab a cider and sit in the conservatory, that the benchmark of her self-acceptance and newfound confidence is that she feels empowered to enjoy perving on Alicia's thigh while she gets off with a strange boy. As if that's some moral victory. (laughs) You still shouldn't creep into a dark room to watch somebody making out without them knowing, even if you're out of the closet now. Realising you're a lesbian does not make that any less creepy. I did find the section set the next day a little bit tedious and possibly unnecessary. I think you could have tacked on a reconciliation between Emmy and Susie to the end of the party and done it in maybe a paragraph or two. But the main thing I took away from that was that Emmy sounds like she's a little bit homophobic. She seems very concerned with how confident Susie is in her new identity, which is a bit of a red flag, I think. Also, the way she talks about two women being together as just wrong, it sounds like she's talking about more than just feeling it's wrong for her specifically. And I wonder if that comes out of her own insecurity. I think that's often the case with people who have insecurities about their own sexuality, that they need to develop homophobic ideas in themselves to help repress their own desires. Emmy clearly feels some temptation to experiment with girls. I don't think she'd have continued to kiss Susie after the first time if she didn't. But I think she's telling herself it's wrong, it's disgusting, as a way to shut down those feelings around her curiosity, which are difficult to deal with. I thought it was really good of Susie to set the boundaries, especially about Emmy's exploration. She's not going to let Emmy give her false hope and risk endangering that important friendship, and that seemed like a pretty healthy decision. It was a little bit weird that Emmy tried to set Susie up with a woman who seems like basically a walking stereotype of a lesbian. But hey, at least she's trying. (laughs) Trying to be a good friend. Great story though, really enjoyed it and I want to have a little look at some of the comments. There are 29 of them though, so there's too many to do them all. But what I will do is have a little look through and read out some of the more interesting ones. Our first comment is from Marusa, who says, A message of forgiveness and hope. What a wonderful story. I love it. When you wrote, She smells nice, a soft, sweet, spicy, homely scent, the first thought that came to my mind was the smell of gingerbread and cinnamon. I have to say that Susie is better than me handling a piercing heart comment. Me? I wouldn't have forgiven Emmy. But they say forgive and forget, so I guess Susie was able to cope with it. Scatty Sue, do you think it will be possible for next Christmas to write a follow-up of this story so we can find out what happened between the two? I'm asking because I hope Susie will have her cake and eat it too. Because of your story, my day is starting with a smile. Five stars to you. (laughs) Okay, so Marusa woke up nice and early and read this story first thing. I think we were all thinking of gingerbread and cinnamon as the smell of Mother Christmas. Those are the Christmassy smells, aren't they? They're calling for a follow-up. I wonder if there was a follow-up. Oh, I tell you what, having looked at Scatty Sue's profile, there is a follow-up, and it's a biggie. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a direct sequel to Gift from Mother Christmas. It was the winner of the 2016 Winter Holiday Competition, and it's a whopper of a story. It's 75.5 thousand words, so it's a bit too long for a Christmas episode, but it looks to have done very well. It's got a very high 4.87 star rating. So if you're interested in reading a follow-up to this, then I really urge you to get on to Scatty Sue's profile. You can find it by searching for Scatty Sue as an author on the website literotica.com. So that's interesting that they did do a follow-up to it. I have to say, for me, the story came to a natural end. And while it definitely left itself open to a sequel, I feel like the conclusion we've had was satisfying. There's a comment from an anonymous who says, You spoil us! Oh dear Scatty Sue, you do spoil it for reading so many of the other Literotica stories with the quality of your writing. Let's hope this is a winner. It certainly should be, and in my mind, it already is. Yes, a sequel for next Christmas would be a rather good present for your readers, don't you think? (laughs) So yeah, there's quite a lot of calls for sequels. And I agree, I think this story is a cut above some of the other stories on Literotica. It's very well written, and it has a good structure as well, which a lot of the stories are lacking. Jot50 says, While I'm not into girl-girl sex stories, I thought that this one was very erotic and sensuous. Even though I'm a straight male, I could emphasise with many of Susie's emotions, as I was treated roughly by my supposed friends when I was younger. He wrote a very touching story with subject matter that many writers shy away from, i.e. overweight people, and the reasons for their sexuality. Five star. Good job, Scatty Sue. Another anonymous comment says, Turnaround isn't fair play. While Susie is a sympathetic character, her behaviour towards Danny, with his little cock, is the same sort of sexual bullying he's committing against her. Granted, she didn't commit sexual assault, but as humiliating as his treatment of her is, so is his telling his friends about his little cock on her instructions. But don't get me wrong, I have zero empathy for Danny. I'm happy he got put in his place, and I really don't think a bully like him should be a teacher. (laughs) That's a good point. Maybe teaching isn't the right profession for him. Batman2003 says, Great story showing real feelings with a real woman. Having been a chubby chaser all my life, it disturbs me to see a woman or girl in distress because of an ignorant slight. Thank you for writing this with such insight. Excellent writing too. I think that's a really valid point and one that's been made by other commenters, that you don't often see stories about women who are overweight. I mean, this is the first one we've had with an overweight character in it. So it's good to see some diversity. Jose Nussbaum says, OMG, Mother Christmas cheating on Father Christmas. The world must be coming to an end. (laughs) Hidden in the Open says, Very nice story. Women's bodies are beautiful, no matter what shape or size they come in. People need to know this and not shame others because of their body's shape slash size. Thank you for sharing this story with us. Our final comment from Gay Cat. Sue, this is a well-written, very sweet story with a little Christmas magic. I like the Mother Christmas character, but still haven't decided if she's magical or just a nice older lady. A very, very nice, horny older lady. I think I like to believe that she's magical. Because I think it takes a bit of a dark turn if you imagine that they're a real person who snuck into a teenage party, then locked themselves in a room with somebody who was clearly upset and had sex with them. It fe- that feels a little bit sinister, to me at least. Whereas if it's a Christmas miracle, a magic Christmas miracle, that's got a whimsicality to it that I think neutralises any sense that it might be not all above board if you get what I mean. (laughs) Anyway, there are some more comments there. I'm not going to read them all, uh, but all of them are positive. There's not a negative comment in the bunch. And I think that's because this was such a great story. 
If you've enjoyed this story, then I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Head on down to literotica.com and search for Scatty Sue as an author. I will briefly spell it for you. It's S-C-A-T-T-Y-S-U-E. They've got 32 stories on their profile, so plenty to read. And if you do head over there, I'm sure they would appreciate any comments you might have and a rating out of five stars. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then I urge you to like and subscribe and review it. Almost more importantly, tell your friends about it or anyone who you feel might be interested in listening to a humorous yet erotic podcast. Also, you may have noticed that the audio quality changed suddenly in the middle of this podcast. That's because I decided to invest in a new microphone. And the one I've been using for the past few weeks was one that I bought quite cheaply from Amazon. And it wasn't really doing a good job. I didn't really like the way it sounded. And to be honest, I think it sounded a bit less good than what I was using before, which was just a microphone built into a pair of headphones that I have. So I decided to return that microphone and invest in something a little bit more professional. I think it sounds a lot better, but it was also a little bit more expensive. And so I decided to ask you, as a listener of the podcast, if you can afford it, to contribute to the ongoing costs of producing a new episode every week by subscribing to the Patreon account that I've just set up. There'll be a link in the description, and you can probably also find it by searching for Let's Get Sexy on the Patreon platform. It's just £5, and hopefully if a few people sign up, that'll mean I can cover my costs and maybe even invest in better equipment down the line to make the podcast even better. Thanks for listening to this pitch. I promise I won't do a long one like this every episode, but I just thought since I'm kicking it off this week, I would do a proper introduction to the Patreon. I will be back next week with the final episode of this special Christmas series. Until then, God rest ye, Merry Christmas, goodbye. The winter's here to stay, Santa's on his way, he's coming on his sleigh, can you hear the angels say, let's get sexy, come on, it's Christmas, let's get sexy, you don't want to miss this. Shit, yes, I gasp. <laughs>